0: Welcome to other spaces this week. Today, the focus is on buyer power, and we have the experts here from the competition authority. And we also have other guests here, some also from the Association of Kenya Suppliers and RedTruck also joining us for a conversation around this. This space is more motivated by what happened yesterday in terms of CAK issuing a determination on CAFO and its use of buyer power. So, we want to understand that in the context of that case and then be able to broaden the general retail space and just the general country as a whole, to understand what's the role of the competition authority in regulating competition in the country and what exactly they do in that regard. The discussion we sent around that, and there's been a lot of discussion online on whether one billion is quite a lot, but then we are going to understand in, in what relation does the CAK get to make this determination. To help us with this, we have two speakers. Mugambi is in the background a bit. So I'll let Dr. Priscilla start by introducing yourself first and what you do at CAK. And then Mugambi can also say what you do, and then Willie can also speak a little bit. Now, so let's start with Dr. Priscilla.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I work at the Competition Authority of Kenya. I am the manager by a power department. And in a nutshell, the, the authority enforces uh, my department investigates. And so we investigate abuse of biopower. Like I said, one of the areas of enforcement under uh, the competition. Now, there are four others, but uh, today we focus on uh, my area, abuse of biopower. Mogambi, introduce yourself.
2: Uh, my name is Mogambi Moteki. I'm the manager in charge of communication and external relations at the CAK. Basically, my work is to spread the gospel about effective competition uh, regulation in the country. Thank you very much.
3: Willie, over to you. Thank you very much. My name is Willie Kimani. I'm here representing Retalk. Truck a association that speaks on behalf of all the retailers and that is from the smallest trader out there all the way to the biggest one, Nivas or Quickmart uh, or, or, or Kafu or, or and all that. So all those are our members and that's what we actually do. Personally, I've been in retail, having worked at Tuskeez, Nivas for the longest and now I have founded my own brand called Jazza that has around six dollars and uh, so we are here to speak about uh, what all this actually encompasses as far as buyer power and the supplier part of it and the retailers part of it. So welcome everyone.
0: Let's dive right into it. So maybe Mugambi, you can introduce to us what CAK does, and then for that we'll ask Dr. Priscilla to introduce
2: what buyer power is. Thank you. Thank you, Eric. The Competition Authority of Kenya is a government agency. We are a regulator. We regulate market conduct and market structure. So market conduct that's where you'll find us getting issues to do with habits of dominance, cartel conduct, things like price fixing, bid rigging. So that's basically how the players in the market conduct themselves. Market structure is more or less mergers and acquisitions. We should be cognizant of the fact that how players maybe perhaps purchase each other or acquire each other could have a bearing on competition and further down the line, a bearing on consumer welfare. Where parties are of a certain combined turnover or assets, we have to analyze the merger, we can approve it. We can approve it with conditions or we can decline the merger. In terms of market conduct in there, there's also consumer protection. We have a consumer protection mandate. So things like misleading representations, presentations, lack of information being shared on on products that we purchase. We had some of the matters that we recently handled. There's a, the bread issue we were uh, best before and such things and false claims that about what is contained in the bread in juices sector. There are some people saying that the juices are 100% free, yet there's concentrate. There was a bit issue to do with cholesterol in edible oils. So more or less, that's what we do. Market conduct, market structure, technical terms, but I hope I've broken down a bit. So within market conduct, let's say I buy a power seats and I'll pass on the mic to my colleague, Dr. Priscilla Njako.
0: Just a second before Priscilla comes in, maybe you can give what are the global counterparts that you that you associate with? Maybe so that do the
2: same thing. Maybe in the US market, so in EU market, we have a very cordial working relationship with the FTC in the United States, the CMA Competition Markets Authority. That one is in the UK, uh, Korea, Japan Competition Commission. Sometimes it's called antitrust law. Here in our market called competition law, but more or less it's the same thing. In the continent, we have a very good working relationship with the FCC in Tanzania. There's a one that is coming up in the East African region. There's a commercial competition a commission. Then South Africans, also Egypt, we have a even a local a sort of a grouping of competition agencies in the continent under the auspices of African Competition Forum, short ACF. Competition regulation across. The world is normal
0: practice. Dr. Priscilla, now you can introduce to us biopower and what it means. And then I'll come to you. We'll talk to that.
1: I'll start off with the definition under the Act. And then I'll break it uh, down I'll, and pull it apart. So that then it makes more sense than it would under the Act. So the Act at Section 2 defines buyer power as influence exerted by a purchaser for a specific purpose to obtain from a supplier more favorable terms or as when the relationship does not pan out as it should to impose a long-term opportunity cost such as harm or benefit that is withheld by that purchaser. And the Act says that uh, there should be a difference in the long-term cost to the purchaser, or the opportunity cost added by the supplier should be significantly disproportionate to that resulting to the purchaser. And that's the act. Yeah. But buyer power simply uh, refers to the ability of a powerful buyer to obtain advantageous terms of trade outside the scope of normal business practices. And, and these terms are likely to be disproportionate, unfair, detrimental to a supplier. Or they could even be totally unrelated to the stated objective of the contract. So in in, in a nutshell, it's simply the ability of a buyer to reduce a supplier's profitability below normal selling price or generally obtain terms of supply more favorable than a supplier's ordinary contractual terms. In a sentence, the ability of a buyer to extract terms that they would not ordinarily extract if the relationship was not so skewed in favor of the buyer in terms of they had a superior bargaining position. And
0: the abuse of it, how does it look like
1: practically? Now, the Act again uh, presents us uh, an open list. And so we interpret conducts that are not listed, of course, using the ones that are listed. Let me pick out a few that are listed. There's threats to terminate a commercial relationship or um, actual unilateral termination of a commercial relationship without a reasonable justification. Another example would be refusal to accept goods so that you have a buyer who has ordered goods, but when they are delivered for one reason or the other, overstocking or just error, okay? Uh, They may decide, uh, okay, fine, I ordered, but I'm sorry, you will have to go back with this. Transfer of costs, for instance, uh, requiring, a supplier to fund a promotion costs or send employees to work on the buyer's premises or contribute to the cost of opening new branches, transfer of commercial risks that should ordinarily be borne by the buyer, okay? A transfer of those costs to the supplier. Let me give an example. You could have a situation where there's shrinkage, while those goods have already been transferred and uh, ownership has already moved to the buyer. And so these goods are in the buyer's premises And the shrinkage, loss of whatever nature, however, caused, but not caused by the supplier's fault. And then the requirement then, because of the existence of buyer power, is that this supplier bear the cost of uh, the loss of the goods. And so these are risks. That's a risk that should actually be borne by the buyer. And it's being pushed to the supplier. And of course, the one we are all familiar with, delay of payments.
0: All right. We'll come back to that. Uh, really, I want you yep. to um, hear some more in terms of uh, maybe the retail space in Canada. can map it out for us a little bit and then speak about buyer power in that retail space. So first and foremost, uh, to
3: appreciate and i actually say that uh, in retail, it's all about uh, the actual selling of the product. It's all about being the channel to the end consumer. The true last mile where we are breaking the ball. And presenting the actual products out there. So, how is the retail market COOP COP looks like? It's a 70 30%. So, 70% is what is called general trade, and there's 30% what is called modern trade. So, that 30% modern trade that's why you'll now find the modern traders and uh, modern retailers that yeah, your, your quick marts, your naivases, your kafos, and everyone now sits in that particular space. Though, when you look at it from another angle, which is by Sagachi, it actually says that modern trade is not even 30%, it's around 18%. So the bigger market is actually on the general trade. Where there they are served now with the wholesalers, distributors, and the kiosks and all that is still big. If you to compare that with a market like South Africa, where it's around 65% modern trade, this is different. But again, to give a big shout out to the likes of Nakumat and Uchumi, who clearly were, were were the frontiers of this particular element. And you, you find that we are way much more developed if you to compare ourselves with our neighbors, for example, uh, Uganda, where it's less than even 10% or Tanzania, Nigeria is even worse. However much you to think about, it, it's 6% thereabout. So we are way much better. We are among the top five best developed markets. And so this is where the modern trade element comes into play because in modern trade, we have what is called joint business trade agreements. So these JBPs is where now you find the buyer power is coming in and they become a point of discussion by point that it's, it's where now we, we start discussing elements of how am I going to grow? We actually discuss, okay, so this is a growth. This is the growth that we are projecting to do together. Then if I achieve that growth, what is my carrot? So this is my carrot that you actually give me, which becomes a ribbit. And that ribbit, now we write it down. After that, we actually ask ourselves, okay, what is going to be the enablers for this particular growth? So these enablers can be marketing support. And all these other things. And then we write it down. Okay, this is what we shall actually do. Third, we actually now go back and actually say, okay, what other things do we need to do that you need over and above the market? So one of the key things that someone can say over and above the market is how we are going to arrange the shelf. Am I going to be the first of the shelf? Am I going to be given a floor display outside here or another component outside here? And then we start discussing other terms which are like, for example, there will definitely be a breakage. There will definitely be some sort of theft. And that's where we have things like swell allowances coming in. And the swell allowance is actually without that percentage that we now say, okay, there's going to be a 0.5% swell allowance that you're going to decree We're going to be having for every invoice paid to take care of that. And then we discuss eventually what is called the payment terms. And that is the payment terms that we say it can be twofold. One payment terms can be, I'll be paying you every 35 days, or I'm going to give you a credit limit of X or y amount. And if you hit whichever comes first, if the days come first or if the limit comes first, those are things now become well documented. And we, we have that as what is called the joint business trade agreements. But then comes in the whole scope that we you notice that all the suppliers will be innovating, but the shelf space has always remained the same. If you go to most of the stores that you actually know, be it Junction. In fact, Junction has become smaller. If you go to Westgate, it's become smaller. If you go to, let's say, the a mountain, gateway mall or something, because there's more optimization. So the retail space is not increasing. Nobody's actually doing way bigger stores. And so within that scope now starts coming in more competitive and, and nodes and the reason why now someone also has to justify why I have to be on the shelf. Meaning, things called category management starts playing into play. And category management means at times you have to rationalize. At times you have to say, product one, two, three, four, five, I shall not deal with it anymore or this category I shall discontinue and that is where now that active management and how that all relates comes into play that not all the times will all the suppliers be happy and how you construe that whether to actually mean that now I'm abusing my buyer power at that moment or if I've changed tack and I've seen hey guess what you are actually having more competitive activities with my competitor and have another brand that is ready to support me do we actually work together and all that and that's where now we now start finding retail and the detailed bit of it and their interpretation of what this means. Because if you don't supply me, for example, if I ask for hundred items, you supply me at 80 items and then you're telling me at the end of the month, I've not hit my rebate, I've not hit my close rebate, but I ask for hundred. If I actually asked for hundred. So those things now become in there. Now you have a lot of discussion points. And what we have had in the market is we came up with a code of conduct, which was jointly agreed upon by the Kenya Association of Manufacturers, Association of Kenya Suppliers the competition authority actually played a very big role in this and uh, quite happy that in fact very it was quite uh, timely when that came into play. All this is where you find all the context of buyer power interpretation. And my parting shot before I actually get back to it is because at the end of the day, we don't want a situation whereby it looks like CAK is forcing an Indian of two people. Even in Kenyan no, you, you know you cannot force a marriage even of two, even of persons, you know. Because at times yes, you can actually tell that business at times will not work between two parties and that is the point of now to interpret when we are now divorcing or changing tact of how we do business how does that look and also when I agree to the terms of how someone trades does that now become buyer power so for example if I say if you are signing up to be my supplier you shall be expected to pick up your goods you shall be doing what and you sign up to that do you now come back again and say hey guess what no I shall not be doing this and you're actually abusing buyer power but you already signed up and agreed because you just wanted to be on my shelf. Thank you. Back to you. Then uh, here we have Ishmael.
0: Good evening, everyone. Introduce yourself and then uh, uh, tell us a bit about uh, the Association of Kenya Supply. Thank you. So my name is uh, Ishmael Beck, the
4: CEO of Association of Kenya Supplies. Association of Kenya Supplies actually is a business membership organization that brings together all suppliers in Kenya to retail chains and beyond. More importantly, we actually drawn from manufacturers. We have manufacturers back of our, our members. We have importers. We have distributors. We have farm producers. And also in that old space, we actually take care of advocacy and lobbying on their behalf. We actually began our operations way back in 2006. Today, we have a large pool or one member, and that is us in action. Beyond about being a membership organization, we do actually link up to the government on one hand, as a BMO on the other hand. We do work closely with government agencies to make sure that the business environment is actually good for all. That in Nashville. I don't know if you had a question or... No,
0: we were discussing biopower, power. So maybe you can discuss biopower power as it relates to suppliers. What's
4: your experience so far? Excellent. I can say when it comes to the biopower, power, apart from our members are actually SMEs. Uh, you have both the big and the small ones. For uh, so the SMEs are just so a smaller group. And how a buyer power or biopower buyer power should actually come or, or tap in on a radio right And especially the abuses, huh? And one of the abuses being late payment, I think that is the biggest area that most of our members are suffering from. And um, maybe to step back behind, how we came to exist was actually because of a buyer power abuse of late payment. That is in two thousand eight when Uchumi went under for the first time. And the members or the suppliers then who were supplying to supermarket Uchumi went to government and asked if they can intervene and actually treat with their hope Uchumi came back. Are you still there? It's like we lost him then. I think we'll come back to
0: Dr. Priscilla. As we wait, maybe you can tell us a bit about how maybe cases come to you where there is by and it abuse in place. Are you the one who seeks out these cases or do people come to you and uh, report to you like there is a case of by a power here, and then you need to look at it and then examine it. So maybe we can start with that.
1: There are two ways in which investigations commence under the Act. So there are two ways in which we get into investigations. And so one could be because we have received a complaint from a party that is affected by anti-competitive conduct under the Act. Or the authority may, of its own volition, what we call Suamoto under Section 31, enter into an investigation process where the authority has good information to justify moving into investigations. And so th- those are the two ways. One, either receipt of a complaint or two, of our own motion. And both actually are under Section 31. So th- th- those are the two ways in which we commence investigations. What after
0: last investigation, How do you proceed from it? Where do you get the data from? How do you go about using and communications? Okay.
1: We do get our information from two sources I, I, I can quickly identify. One is of course the evidence submitted by the party that has presented a complaint. They will come in with some um, documents or they will come in with an agreement. In the case of a, a abuse of buyer power, we are able to take um, a, a statement or come in with other documentary evidence in the phone or phone conversations, WhatsApp, etc., etc. But then the authority also conducts a market analysis. We do investigate the market. And I'll tell you why for buyer power. The reason being that in order to establish whether there is buyer power, before because before we finally establish that there was abuse of buyer power, there must be that power to be abused. It must exist. And so we must first establish that there is buyer power held by the buyer. And then two, that there was abuse of that buyer power uh, through the conduct that I explained. And so we look into a number of requirements that are placed on us by the Act. At Section 24A4, first we ask, we look into the nature and determination of a contract. Then we look at whether there was a request for access to infrastructure. And these are payments to even commence trading. So you must make a, a, a certain payment up front in order to start engaging. And third, we ask what price was paid to the supplier. So we conduct an assessment of those three factors, whether they exist. But not only that, we then move on to buyer power guidelines. And I'm just trying to explain this to what, uh, the listeners and, and, and the people who've logged in can see that our investigations are quite thorough. And there is no possibility that the authority could be engaging in a witch hunt or is taking complaints that are not congent enough or are not deserving Attention. In fact, before I progress, then I will say that we have on occasion, not one, not twice, or not thrice, dismissed complaints received from suppliers. And back in 2021, the financial year 2020-2021, we actually closed investigations against this specific retailer, Carrefour, brought in by five suppliers. When we got information, which could be verified, was actually verifiable information from the retailer to show that these were actually disgruntled suppliers and there had been some level of collusion And this is in our records and can actually be confirmed so that it does not appear that uh, we entertain unhappy suppliers. We do not. We have layer upon layer of, of standards that we apply. Having finished with the act, the three elements I have listed under Section 24A, Uh, A4, which are, of course, uh, how was the contract determined? Was it a negotiated contract at all? Because sometimes we have what appears to be apparent consent. And yet, in reality, that consent was extracted from the party. When I really referred to the code of practice, which the authority itself gazetted for the retail sector in order to engender solution of of matters at sector level. That code of practice contains the word duress a good five times, and it bars a retailers from engaging in duress or forcing suppliers to concede to certain terms. And so we do have those layers. And I said, we look at three elements under the act, and then we're not done. We go to the buyer power guidelines and ask, what is the nature of the buyer and supplier markets? How does the market look? Are there barriers to entry? What kind of barriers are they? Okay. And then we add dependency of the supplier on the bar. This could be caused by difficulty or challenges in, in, in switching costs. So sometimes it's impossible to switch. And, and I have had people say this supplier was not obligated to continue supplying. The reality is that having locked themselves into a contract, then maneuvering out may involve a certain cost, which is much more difficult than just enduring the difficult, the onerous terms that are imposed upon the party. And what we have found is that the matters we have investigated are not parties that have quit supplying. The interesting thing is that these parties come to us while they continue to supply so that it's not uh, that they are disgruntled, they don't want to continue supplying on the terms that are existing and they have swung out and run to the competition authority as has been suggested. Many of them continue to supply under the onerous terms for lack of choice. And we look into why. And and typically it's what we call economic dependency under the buyer power guidelines. And then we check uh, issues of whether the buyer is a gatekeeper. And uh, again, uh, there was an allusion to that, that actually buyers, retailers are an access to the downstream consumer market. And so this supplier may be caught between a rock and a very hard place. But of course, we also consider international best practice. And just very quickly, if I can just take us through some of the samples so that we can get a feel that Kenya is not an outlier. In terms of abuse of buyer power, we're not out there enforcing this new novel, unfair to buyers legislation. There is, I'll give the example of the UK, under the. Competition and Markets Act, the CMA that uh, Gambialia alluded to, that competition agency, because it's an agency for competition, has a grocery supply code of practice, which is actually enforceable under laws. And it bars things like, of course, delaying payments, obligations to pay marketing costs, requirement for payment of shrinkage. And this is the UK, okay, that a loss cannot be borne by a supplier unless the supplier is to blame. Clear processes, the demands for clear processes for delisting suppliers, no retrospective changes to agreements, and it also demands that there be fair arm's length negotiation. That is the UK. If I was to take us to Japan, okay, now in Japan, under the Anti-Monopolies Act of 1947, Article 19 of the AMA, okay, bars buyers from employing unfair trade practices. And these are listed as including demanding, okay, services or other economic benefits from a buyer, refusing to receive goods. And I know that this is now starting to sound familiar because it's exactly what we also do on this end, requiring excessive rebates, deduction to a point that the supply is uh, supplying below cost. That's Japan. If I was to take us to Australia, under the Competition and Consumer Act, section 46, there is a schedule which bars retailers and buyers generally from engaging in unconscionable conduct. And back in 2014, and and the conduct that the buyers are barred from engaging in is using undue influence, pressure, or unfair tactics to establish a price of goods that is favorable to the buyer while injurious to the supplier because of time constraints. I will refer to an investigation into Kohl's, Kohl's as a supermarket in Australia, which was penalized $10 million in 2014 and was asked to also compensate suppliers. The penalty was agreed by consent because the retailer recognized that its conduct had breached the law. Finally, South Africa, just down here, Section 8, Subsection 4 of their Competition Act 1998, bars abuse of buyer power, okay, imposed on, and I know is very specific, imposed on an SME or a farm controlled or owned by a historically disadvantaged group. And the unfair terms could be on prices or other trading conditions. And so I think the point I'm making is that one, we look at the act, two, we look at the abuse of buyer power guidelines, and then three, we consider international Uh, Practice due to uh, uh, to just the limitation of time, I can't take us to Germany. I can't take us to France. I can't take us to Korea. The point I'm making is that abuse of via power is contrary to the law, and the law is the law. And apparent consent cannot uh, cleanse a contract that the law has already illegalized. Thanks, William. I think you had some
0: point on that, and
1: maybe because of
0: that. that, uh, You can also speak about this, this, some reference that was made in the press release yesterday about the sanctity
3: of contracts. So maybe you can speak to that also. Yeah, sure. So what we did in the Code of Conduct, we heavily borrowed, uh, as Natalia said, from the British. In fact, we were very clear. We actually used that as a template. We went through for what and made it now the Kenyan way of things and all that. It's quite clear. For example, if there's a payment dispute, how to handle it. We even came up with a tribunal. I'm a member of that tribunal. I've never seen a single case brought to us. So that has never happened. So we already have laws and means within that act is not used. And at the same time, within the act that we created, the very first sentence there was quite clear. In the absence of a contract agreed between the supplier and, this, and the retailer, then this shall apply. So if you already have a plan and you have already signed up, I and my supplier are going to be doing one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Then if you don't have, that's where, again, now the Act protects the supplier from that particular element. So there's that enforceability that we need to actually look at, which says, if I've agreed that I'm actually going to be, let's say, paying either based on credit limit or the period uh, that you've given me. So assuming you've given me 100 million shillings as my credit limit or 35 days and you've said whichever comes first. And... I technically, have, now I'm still within, I've only bought 15 or 20 million. I have 80 million to still to go. But the days have arrived and I need to pay that. But if i have not, then I still have a credit of almost 85 that I need to actually get. If you have agreed that, guess what? The marketing will enable us to grow, shall involve us for every new store that we are opening to give two or three, four cartons. And that is what we have signed up or need. Then that is no longer an issue of buyer power. It's an issue of we agreed. And and that and that was like the plan that we had, not to coerce. So before you sign on that, it actually says, "Okay, I am not signing this." There are very many, and I'll actually have to say, very many suppliers and retailers who are still not even existing on contracts. In fact, you'll find most of the one two supermarkets, a majority of them will be almost on a forty percent compliance when it comes to sign-ups of the JBP or supplier agreement. Because there are two documents here. There's one which is called the supply agreement. That's where you have to discuss the whole, all the things, including bribery and all such things. Then you have the second one, which is a joint business plan, which is renewable every year, which says now, which is more, it's, it's like a double click on the supply agreement on the actuals and the numbers of what we are actually supposed to do. So the act is clear in the absence of an agreement. So if there is already an agreement, then why should CAK come and tell me this is abuse of power. That is the part that now most retailers are actually finding that we might need to ask ourselves that question. And, of course, the third bit, of course, becomes the quantum over uh, which, again, I have to agree there in the Act. The Act says maybe a percentage of revenue and all that. We need to look at them in such a way that it's favorable because otherwise you can actually find someone who's employed 8,000 people and is also enabling even way many other, like 20x or the same, now facing a closure because of that punitive bit of how that number looks like. In a Kenyan context where we are struggling to create employment and get business up and running, that's why you now have to start agreeing, okay, hey, guess what? Now, the, we need to also look at the numbers and, and, and as far as the, the, what that looks like. But at the same time, we also just need to and that is the only request we are actually having as an organization. Can we respect that element of if I have agreed with my supplier, this is it, and you have signed up, then it's okay for me to actually have that particular agreement. The issue is when now I'm quashing or not. Now, that now, then let's discuss that on the tribunal which we actually formed. Peter, like, the problem should be the tribunal first before the competition authority. Is that yes? There's a clear dispute resolution channel that is in the act, and in fact, we commissioned through the Ministry of Trade. They, they actually gave the members, and in fact, AKS also. If I'm not wrong, has a member in, in it also, KEM, um, organization of manufacturers, AKS, and uh, and Ritra. So within that component, we now have more and more of us going through that particular tribunal. And then with that, it will make things much easier because the the best way of actually, the the, the, the first bit, we want we ourselves as Retrack members to tell our own members, hey, hey, you're not paying your suppliers on time. This is exactly, you're actually messing us as retailers. You're know, giving retailers, a, but we want to also self-correct our own members. But that has to come in also when we actually know, hey, guess what? There is a problem by supplier one, two, three, four, on this particular, that is where we have a missing gap. Thank you. And how many cases are the tribunal handled? Sorry, zero. None has come. And then how come they're more comfortable if they're going to the competition authority than coming to the tribunal? That's the discussion point that we need to have. How do we enable that to come? Well, the dispute, because you'll actually notice that some of those disputes are very small. In fact, if you look at the quantum of the current C4 case and all that, uh, that's a such a small quantum. If you look at the level of trade that the guys are doing, in the level of billions of actually doing per year, or even any other of the retailers at that level. So that quantum, you'll actually find it's it will be something that will have been quickly resolved. And anyway, you find that they have already resolved. And guess what? In trade we'll always have a lot of ups and downs. A lot of ups and downs. Because tomorrow, today, we'll actually be saying, hey, this supplier who supplies me is the same supplier who's supplying my competitor, but is giving my competitor way much more of a discount or way much more. And he is ever on a 40% promotion. From, do I really need to continue working with him at that particular point? Or do I need to? Do? Or, or the other way around, even the, the supplier feels offended because um, a retailer one has done one, two, three, four, five, which is off what they had actually agreed. And I'd already bought all the packaging material because I'd already agreed on this number of goods that I need to supply to him and I'm doing my everything. And right now he's telling me he can no longer honor my LPO. You know, those kind of discussion points will always be there. The key word is, can we now use the set mechanism before we actually get to where now we're discussing almost a billion shillings worth of money. As in this market, we need all the retailers growing. We are only at 30%. We actually need three other times more. We need the likes of KaFu, whatever, even the Jaza that we've just done now. We need more players within this market to actually be able to create that confidence also within the investment arm of, of the country.
0: And since we've been talking a lot about the Carrefour case, uh, it will be interesting to hear what exactly was the case against uh, Carrefour, maybe from this CA case. Dr. Priscilla, maybe you can lay out the case and the details so that we can uh, maybe get to the crux of the matter and, then, and also get to the point where the determination, especially for the penalty, came to be. Lay out the case for...
1: Before I lay up the case, one, I am very curious where the clause that says that uh, the the code and the law shall only apply in the absence of a contract between the parties is, I'm really curious, but uh, suffice it to say there's no such clause, at least not in the code of practice that we gazetted for the retail sector. Second, there is no tribunal under that code of practice. Let me just clarify what the position is. Matters of investigation, uh, or rather outcomes of investigation or investigation into anti-competitive conduct is done by the authority under the Competition Act. All 100 sections of that act. Appeals to determinations of the Competition Authority go to an independent tribunal called the Competition Tri. And that is where CAFO had presented an appeal Against a determination we made in 2020, and the tribunal ruled in the authority's favor, confirmed the conduct engaged in was abuse of buyer power, breached the Competition Act, and reiterated what the authority had already determined, that the terms in CAFOR's contracts breached the law. That's a tribunal we are talking about. And so possibly what Willie is talking about is a retail trade dispute settlement committee under the code of practice and what that one does is hear disputes but the disputes that parties present to it voluntarily and the code is very clear that it does not oust the jurisdiction of the competition authority that is domiciled after the act it cannot supersede the act and so indeed, if uh, there's one who could answer the question why uh, parties are not going to that uh, dispute, because the authority also uh, saw this as an opportunity for amicable resolution of matters in recognition of the sensitivity of the relationship between a retailer and its supplier. And so the hope was that more of these matters that the authority has to investigate can be agreed and resolved. I'll tell you who sits on that committee. The competition authority does not sit on that committee contrary to the implication made. It has two nominees of Redrack. It has two nominees of CAM. It has one nominee of AKS, one nominee of the Council of Governors, because of course trade being a devolved uh, uh, function. It has a nominee from Ministry of Trade. And the authorities set up this code in the hope that the sector would allow me, quote-unquote, get its act together. But clearly, where you have one end that sort of uh, may have a bit of a allow-me-again, quote-unquote, challenge, complying with very clear law, then it might be a bit difficult for this committee to actually get up and running. But I think I'm done with that. And and on the issue of contracts not being written, paragraph 3 of the code reiterates, section 24A7 of the Act, It demands that contracts be written because unwritten contracts are typically an avenue for abuse of buyer power because they can be shifted any time. They can be adjusted on a daily basis almost because they are not written. And so the code actually pushes and encourages parties to put down their contracts in writing and even sets out the terms that the parties must include in their contracts. I I don't want to go into those. In any case, they're already in the act. Now, the matters under determination by the authority, the two matters, I think they've been pretty much in the public domain. But I'll just run through them very quickly. What happened is that we received two complaints against Carrefour Retailer. And the complaints were basically that these parties had been enduring and continued to endure. Remember economic dependency that I referred to? They continued to endure conduct that amounts to abuse of buyer power in the form of paying punitive rebates. And uh, in, 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 in a typical world, a rebate is a is, um, tool used to, to encourage a buyer, for example, a retailer, to give something in return. For instance, early settlement of an invoice or to reach certain sales targets. And so when you have a situation where the rebates are now imposed, they are fixed and they are being fixed by the party that should not even be fixing them. In the first place, there should be an inducement from a supplier who says, I'll give you a percentage of my sales because of one, two, three, not you will give me a percentage of your sales because I am here and I have shelves. Now, so the the complaints were basically excessive rebates, demands to send employees, including for overnight stock taking, threats to terminate contracts, actual termination of a contract, because we issued a cease and desist order because this conduct was ongoing. And we told CAFOR in March of 2023 in the Puaniel matter, please take a pause. Should we find in your favor, you can pick up and recover. Should we find against you, then at least the damage will not have been ongoing on the supplier. And so subsequent, shortly after we issued the cease and desist order, we gazetted it in March. Carfor then terminated the contract with the supplier. And what happened is that we have complaints of excessive deductions to below cost in certain instances, excessive deductions of rebates, some annual and so on and so forth, demands to send employees and that is transfer of cost. And then we also had threats to terminate because the the, the retailer would refuse to renegotiate 2022 contracts. So either take it, Or leave it, okay? And negotiation, at least even the code of practice uh, has been referred to. It's very clear. It says a retailer shall at all times, paragraph two, deal with its suppliers fairly, I'm quoting the code, fairly and lawfully. And that this dealing by a retailer shall be in good faith without uh, distinction between formal and informal arrangements, without duress and in recognition Of the suppliers need for certainty as regards risks and costs of trading and so those were basically the complaints the nature of the complaints uh, that we received we investigated them and we gave due process to the retailer that was represented by one law firm and another law firm joined in later so we're talking a situation where the party under investigation was given absolute due process under the Fair Administrative Actions Act, under the competition Act, and under the Constitution of Kenya 2010. And so in a nutshell, th- that's in nature of the matters that we investigated. But you did ask something about the penalty. Now, the penalty, there is that assertion that the penalty is high, it's exorbitant, and we must ask ourselves as Kenyans. Relative to what? What is it high relative to? Is it possible that it is because it is outside of our expectations? Or is it, I I would really want to know, it's high relative to what? Now, the thing is this penalties under the Competition Act, Section 36D, enables the authority to penalize up to 10% of the offending party's annual gross turnover. For the preceding year. And that is the law. It is the law, okay? But the authority doesn't just toss out the 10%. There are very clear considerations under our finding and settlement guidelines. And they actually require that the authority takes into account various factors, which I can assure you we did. They include the factors we are to take into account include the nature of the offense, the gravity and extent of it the duration it has gone on for, the effect on the affected parties and other similar parties, okay? Was there retaliation? Was there cooperation? Those we call aggravating factors. They load the penalty. But we also take into account mitigating factors. And these mitigating factors could be, was there cooperation? Is this a first-time offender? Because a second-time, third-time offender that offends knowing well that they are offending, that's an aggravating factor. Is this a first-time offender? Were they willing? And did they progress settlement? And so the authority took into account all those factors. I wish to say that um, the penalty is based on what the law allows and enables, which is up to 10%, but I can assure you it was not even 10%. But finally, I'll say this, that the authority also takes into account That the penalty must be proportionate and deterrent, but while taking care to support the sustainability of the party that we are penalizing. And so if, 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 if we could just look at it from the angle of what is the impact on the other parties and the fact that it is a considered penalty based under the law and still below the maximum that the authority can actually penalize. Well, they won our mark and we have a
0: few more minutes to go. That's a very interesting discussion. So if you want to be part of it, what you can do is below the pinned tweet, you can just type your questions and uh, you can also DM us your questions. You may not allow speakers today because we have enough of them. But if you do those two, you can easily pick your questions and then uh, forward them to the various uh, people who are involved here. Uh, so we really I'll uh, give you the chance to respond. Um, I think you're speaking from the supplier perspective. I think uh, the competition is... I'm uh, talking about in the sense of there is an abyss of power uh, in this sense from Carrefour, And the, so from your perspective then, what would you respond to the case against Carrefour in this case?
3: Okay. So, so first and foremost, one, again, apology I use the name, tribunal, instead of committee. It's actually the committee that is set up. And just to also answer the part which on part three of the code of conduct on the variation of supply agreements, joint business plan, it clearly states a supply agreement stroke joint business plan shall be a mandatory In the supplier-retailer relationship under this code and that's where now it starts subject to paragraph three two also it says a retailer must not vary any supply agreement or jbp retrospectively and must not request or require that a supplier consent to restore retrospective version of any supply agreement and again when you look at it even including the marketing and the prices or delay in payments or even contribution to marketing and all that it keeps on referring to the fact that not unless stipulated within the supply agreement or joint business plan. So here, if you already have a party that has already signed up to this particular joint business plan or supply agreement that you're actually saying it should be a must, then what, at that particular point, does it become coarse? Should you not re- use that before you have signed it? So before someone signs it, let, let that be the time that someone takes that particular process through which says, I know. These terms are not competitive. I'm being coerced, but if you've already signed them, you're already trading. Now it's an issue of now renewing and all that. That's a time that now comes in. That means possibly what the retailers are saying: let's have this. And when it comes to the file, first of all, yes, it's true. It is in the law. They're up to ten percent, including most of the punitive in C A K, actually on around that ten percent mark. Unfortunately for retail, we operate on very thin margins. In fact, retailers in this market will not be making more than 45 to 6% margin, which typically means if you charge them 10% within that annual margin, they're shutting down. A 10% charge is definitely a shutdown. You can't even see it's something that you can actually have in your know, payment plan. I do for how many years. That's like telling someone, okay, for the next three, four years, all what you're working for is for that particular fine. So yes, it's steep. It's something that we might need to actually discuss how some of that looks like. Already, businesses are struggling margins are lower. Because of the current macroeconomic situation, we're actually finding that people are banking way much less because the volumes are way less. The cons- consumption has really dropped. So by the time you actually even use last year's number without inferring to the kind of growth that is actually there and all that, you'll find that abuses business will definitely shut down. But of course, I know that is already in law something that what we'll actually say, hey, please, let's reconsider how that looks like in the law and if possible to be able to amend it. But to again put it this way, the committee has set up that committee and actually properly launched by the Minister of Trade, then if it's put into place and, if, and things start happening in there when it comes to supplier complaints on uh, payments, rebates, and everything like that, we might actually find that we don't need to get into this case because the quantums are very low at that particular stage. For the mistake of less than 10,000 shillings, you will be charged at 10%, which is a billion. Um, we are looking at a 15 million, uh, um, a rebate supposed to be repaid back, but you're supposed to pay a fine of one billion. It's punitive. Thank you. Now, so Willie, really, uh, uh, what's the length of some of these contracts that uh, suppliers have with retailers? A normal supply agreement is signed once off from when you're starting to trade. It defines what you should do and what ought to do. And then you have a joint business plan. The joint business plan is signed annually and uh, with quarterly reviews. And that is why you actually set your objectives for that particular year. You set your carrots and whips. You set your trading bit. You check out when you shall actually be able to review and all that. So the joint business plan runs for one year, but the supplier agreement to sign it, one off. If I can
0: get your argument clearly, it's that once this contract is signed, it should not be sacred and it should not be taken to a competition authority in that sense. It should be maybe a code of agreement between the supplier and the retailer so that you keep to that until the next time it's about to be renewed. And then we discuss whether the terms should change or not. Is that the
3: argument? It, you know, there's always quarterly reviews and in the quarterly reviews, okay. you change. Within the quarterly reviews, you always can vary one or two, three, four things, which means this rebate can actually not be there anymore, or there's a law has changed and that this might require that now this will actually change or, okay, you have shifted my space or you have changed your shop. I'm no longer having the kind of space. So that always keeps on changing, but have to be agreed and signed off. So that sign off, it will always happen. And at times there will be conflict because one party might not be happy with the other. So for example, if someone had agreed to give what do you call this? A growth margin on flower. And then government introduces sub- subsidy. Uh, at that particular point, the miller cannot afford to give you the, the same gross rebate and still be able to supply at the kind of uh, price points that have actually been put. In. Those discussions will always be there. As a retailer, if I'm not trying to look for that rebate, then I'm, I'm also not being fair to my supplier. But then specifically, Carfour, the competition authority it argues that they
0: did reach out and say that some of the terms may be punitive on one side. Then... If such a case happens, then does the retailer then maybe review
3: the contracts or at least try to do something about it in that case? I will not comment on the kafu and the yes. case. Uh, but in an, in so sense, when any party is aggrieved, people should definitely be able
4: to review. Okay. Yes, sir. If you allow me, I've had Willie and Priscilla actually dwell into the hockey of sure. this biopower uh, abuse. And uh, one, Willie, I think we've sat in def- several uh, meetings with you and uh, we've been discussing this. And it's totally wrong when you say that the committee has not handled any issue. I remember one, yeah, we had an issue with uh, Muleys and we had given the duty to your team to feed us with some information that never came. But actually, maybe you are not so uh, acquainted to what that happening. Now, if you say allow the contracts or allow, once a contract has been signed, then that's final, I'll, then what is the reason? What's the essence of a buyer power abuse? Because. Why should an authority, if not to address issues that are are actually mandated by the law for them to to take care of? For instance, if a supplier enters into an agreement with a retailer on a 30 day payment, then the payment went to 45 days. It has been violated already. Then, should you also say you had agreed, then this should only be between the supplier and the retailer? To my understanding, that is one. A way to look at it. The other way to look at it is in the event there were coercion, there were threats during signing of these contracts. And if a buyer is that big, they have that muscles, they have that power actually inside some pressure into signing those contracts, which may not be so friendly or may not be comfortable. To the supplier, then should you deny then C A K to intervene in such situation? Then what is the mandate of C A K if not to check on the excess of either parties? Because I know C A K is not only handling issues on the retailers or on the supplier side; they are handling. There's one both sides. If the supplier is on the wrong, then they weak. When it's a retailer, they weak. Now the reasons why we are having the buyer power abuse is in the rules is actually to handle such issues like. A powerful retailer in searching from pressure on a supplier to sign a contract that are, they are not so comfortable execute at some point. That was what I was saying.
3: Uh, I think the, the key word uh, that you're actually saying as retailers is one. So here you have, and, and I'll use the Kafu case, you have two suppliers who have actually felt aggrieved. They have actually gone there and clearly they're now saying, hey, you know what, this is actually not working and this is actually wrong. But after some time, they have themselves, the two parties, together with Kafu agree. And they even write jointly together to CAK and say, we have now resolved. But it's ignored. Why, why should you ignore when those two people who are actually having an issue and they have resolved and they're even trading happily and, and, and all that, that. That is the part that retailers are saying, hey, hey, hey no, please listen to us. We'll always have one and two, three, four, as in enable trade and then change. Bit it doesn't look like, hey, because the two parties are now trading with Kafu perfectly. They're happy. The three parties are happy. No, that's why the gist of the Supreme of retailers were just saying, okay, no, just as you actually go on ahead, also just understand that this is not going to be the last case because technicalities will always happen. Someone might have actually uh, imported items and they're stuck in the port. And when he comes now, by the time he's clearing them, already that shelf has been filled by another party and is no longer on that shelf. You'll always have one, two, three, four hitches. All what we ask for is... Fair consideration of issues that when you now resolve our issues, either through the committee or between the two parties, that at least see a chaos or list.
0: A couple of questions have come in, as so I think I'll give Priscilla some time to respond. Uh, One of them is the uh, alongside Willie's question. The other question that they have is uh, I think Tire 4, when they were responding today, they said that they had. Actually, we saw some of the issues that they had with their suppliers and that they are not quite in contrast in that regard. So they were surprised about the determination. So maybe you can speak to that, uh, the will really be All
1: right. Thank you very much. Let me start with the last bit, which you have just raised and the one Willie has raised about agreement. Now, the authority is not averse to settlement agreements at all. The, the, the record bears me witness. Early this year, we had a settlement agreement with Unilever PLC on buyer power. Very recently in July, you you saw news about an investigation into cartel conduct in the steel sector. There are negotiations going on as we speak, and two of the parties are actually in the process of settling. You remember the paints matter. Those were settled. The space of the authority is replete with examples of settlements. Now, the thing is this, that in the process of investigation, we received communication. The communication came from the suppliers that, look, we are now talking, we want out. And we wrote to the suppliers and copied Carrefour as follows, that the authority is not averse to negotiations at all. However, section 38 of the act is clear that once a matter is under investigation by the authority, any settlement reached will be reached between the party under investigation and the authority. And so, therefore, come forward. Come, let us sit at the boardroom at CAK. Let us arrive at a settlement. We will close this matter on the terms of the settlement. There were three letters to that effect with clarifications to the parties time and again. But for one reason or the other, there was a decline, there was a refusal, which then uh, caused the authority to progress. So the option to negotiate, give the example of any other criminal offense. Let's think of an offense that's under investigation or rather a criminal offense because the reality is this. Section 24A1, abuse of buyer power is actually an offense. It's just that the authority is allowed their administrative penalties. Once a matter is under prosecution before the courts of no before the magistrates court, you cannot just appear and declare. Now we want out. Okay. Because sometimes it, it's a party being twisted. And so then the, the, the legislator was very clear to ensure that parties do not come and then they are threatened and back right out. And so we said, come and let us arrive at a negotiation. Indeed, uh, finally on the matter of negotiation. Many of abuse of buyer power matters go out by way of settlement up to 78, percent of our matters get closed on account of settlements and you don't get to hear about them. And these settlements are between us and the offending party with the complainant sitting there saying, I'm okay with that. Okay. So that, that's a bit about the settlement on, on the issue of the, the penalty. The reality is this, that a party that engages willfully, knowingly in conduct which the authority has determined breaches the act, and the tribunal has confirmed breaches the act, then really pre-tell what are we to do with such a party. A slap on the wrist? I, I do hope that's not what we are proposing. The other thing is that there was a reference to the fact that the trade dispute settlement committee was, is it launched by the minister? Actually, that's not the correct position. The correct position is that once the authority established, gazetted this code of practice, the idea was the parties that I I read out sit together, put together this committee where they can hear first level disputes. They have never put it together. And yet there's an expectation that unhappy parties go to a committee that is not operational. Of course, they will come to the authority. Finally, allow me to say that once a contract, a sanctity of contract agreed, freedom of contract agreed, but those are common law principles that do not supersede written law, legislation. And so once the law says the contract you've entered into means the law, we can sing about sanctity of contract till the cows come home. That contract will continue to remain illegal, regardless of whether it appears that parties are happy. And I spoke about uh, apparent consent pushed by economic dependency, difficulty of switching, and 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 so on and so forth. And so the reality is that written law is clear. Abuse of buyer power is an offense that breaches uh, the Competition Act. And when engaged in, there will be consequences.
0: Gambi, I have a question for you. I think there were some numbers you gave me yesterday about uh, how much it takes to open a uh a retail shop and the free goods that uh, maybe a retailer can get at the beginning. Uh, so maybe you can repeat that a bit uh, so that you
2: can give context to the case. Ah, thank you. Thank you, Eric. First, I'd like to, to clarify something. I think also on your page yesterday, you grabbed some of the numbers that Carrefour, has a parent company has publicly declared to be their revenue. So I'd just like to clarify a misconception that's out there that CAK penalizes 10%. Indeed, we have never penalized 10% on any matter. As a matter of fact, I think Eric's, uh, on the Mongo Capital page, you've done a sort of estimation about where this lies. The penalty lies on the scale of 0 to 10. And I think I saw the numbers 2.3. I'd like to confirm that you're not far from the truth. If you check the numbers that you've given, I think 40-something billion in terms of revenue last year. So if we reach a determination this year, we take the revenue from the previous year. So if you compare the 1.1B vis-a-vis... There are two contrasting figures. I think that $8 billion, there was another 40 something. So you're not too far from the truth. It is way less than 3%. Way less than 3%. Had we finalized the 10%, then I think the charge that we want to close down CAFO could be merited. This time, it's less than 3%. You are spot on that. I'll, I'd like to reference a figure, last, about your question. I reference a figure that the case that CAK won at the tribunal, it was against ACFO. CAFO had, had issued a determination, CAFO contested it, went to the tribunal. At the tail end, when the members of that tribunal made their judgment, the legal representative from CAFO made a public admission, requested the tribunal for, for more time, I think 30 more days, so they could uh, check the possibility of amending the contracts, which we really want them to do. He said, our our, our client has over 4,000 suppliers. That's on public record. I've seen a statement today claiming it's way less than that, 700. So. Here's the thing. Every time a uh, Carrefour or whoever it is opens a store, whether or not it's across the street, one is here, five, five, ten meters away. You as a supplier, whether you supply in 27 of the other branches across the country, you have to pay a listing fee. As you saw yesterday, in yesterday's press release, a small company, like William said, yes, indeed, it's a small matter, but it's a small company, relatively, Woodlands, required to pay 50,000. Whether or not you use the figure of 700 as alluded in, today's press release, or you use a bigger figure that is mentioned at the tribunal, for, that's free 200 plus million. Check how much is it? does it cost to open a new branch in a, a retail store? So the question is, is someone advancing or uh, expanding in the country, using suppliers' money? Number two, there's a requirement per SKU. So for instance, there's cooking oil, there's 10 liters, all the way down to 500 ml. Each is an SKU a stock-taking unit. They are not the same item. So the requirement in this investigation that we just concluded, that was for each S, you provide two cartons. At least that was the case for, for Pwani Oil. So you, you present two free cartons. Extrapolate that to 700 clients as per their release or 4,000 clients or suppliers per their tribunal admission in court or uh, in uh, in the uh system. You enter a store, and you find a product that was typically 600 shillings is being sold at 300 bob, you must wonder how, and it's consistent, the, 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 you know, the discounts are there. I'm not saying discounts are bad, they are good. It's consistent because, remember, this item was provided for free. They could give you for free, for instance, but now they slash it to 300. When the offer ends, it goes back to the other. So there's a disadvantage again to the suppliers. But as uh, I know I've seen the questions sometimes even yesterday, investors, Cak takes cognizance. Our work here is not to repel investment. No, our work is the opposite. Facilitate the good working environment for investors. But here the issue is that there are two types of investors. Our suppliers, the suppliers in the country are also investors. The retailers, whether or not they are from abroad or local or it's really Keman, is jaza, all the best will. Really. It doesn't matter. Will really is an investor, the supplier is an investor. Whose rights should supersede the other? Don't the suppliers have a right? That is the question. So when people are talking about expansion, all that innovation, as you was saying, you come up with a new branch, you call it, I've seen the food market, nice, that's good stuff. But why should you expand on the back of suppliers? That's the question CK is asking. And to remedy that, the final issue will be amendment of these contracts. If you go back, we have been singing the same song, we want the contracts to be amended and that's, I think the crux of the matter. So in terms of scale, are we trying to kill CAFO? No. And you also have to look at it that the conduct has been ongoing. I think they've been around for around seven years. So this value that has been extracted from our suppliers, the, the suppliers were supplying to the re- this specific retail store for seven years. Who is taking account of that? How much is it that was more or less illegally extracted from our suppliers over seven years? So when you now look at it also with the penalty. Is it outrageous, as has been suggested? That's out there for people to decide, but 10% we have never. We have the scale. Well, we don't say we, we we are magnanimous, but in this case, we could have gone higher, but we didn't. So I think uh, and maybe one one last uh, rhetorical question. I don't think uh, I want an answer from anyone specifically. There are many retailers in the country. These suppliers supply majority of these, especially the big ones, the Quick Marts, the Naivas, the Jaza, Willy Kemanis. Why is it that CAK only receives complaints pertaining to one retailer? Why hasn't Pawnee Oil, why hasn't Woodlands complained about Naiva? I suspect the issue is these other retailers as really suggesting that is a preferred environment, allow for negotiations. In this case, Priscilla, Dr. Priscilla has just mentioned, issued a season six order, two, three weeks later, the guy was kicked out. So how do you deal with such a uh, 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 player. Do we tell them? Fine, proceed. Why should we do that? The law is there. We are exercising our mandate under the law while following due process and the uh, best international practice. Thank you. There's a question thank here you.
0: that is being asked about that listing fees is a uh, common thing across retailers around
2: the world. Is that true? Could I for you, Could, could I see the uh, mic to Priscilla?
1: Sure. All right. Thank you. The investigations we have and the information we have is is that is actually not the reality. And before we make our determinations, of course, we dig around into international best practice. And we are not the only ones who penalize demands for listing fees. I would refer us just to one situation, and that would be the French commercial court determination of 2021 against Carrefour, which was penalized 1.75 million euros. For exactly self same conduct as we are looking at, probably next time. And hopefully, this is where the end is. and time we have investigations against maybe a retailer. If we could get this information, if we could get approved from the party under investigation, here is a list of places where listing fees are charged standard and the law concedes, the law allows them. Then, of course, we'd be more than happy to incorporate that into. Uh, determination but as far as and, and, and I listed a number of uh, jurisdictions where this kind of conduct is actually not allowed so maybe there's new information out there but so if we have dug around my position would be that is actually not the correct position.
3: Okay let's put from a retailer's perspective it might be the naming or the wording the key thing is as a retailer someone has invested in the whole shelf and everything So in most cases, what you'll actually find is that there is always that new store that I'm actually creating. I'm creating a new market for you. I'm creating something that was actually not even there for you. And this shelf is forever going to be having a product. And so the negotiation always goes by, is there any store opening offer? Is it a 10-for-1, 5-for-1, or 6-for-1? Depending, some don't give. Some give in form of a delayed payment for the first invoice for that. So there will always be a negotiation which can be construed, and someone else might actually decide, okay, guys, well, on my side, I just want to standardize this as a listing fee or not a listing fee, or can there be a cut-on or two or not, uh, which every supplier has the right to say no. In fact, and actually to say this, most investors are not actually, it's all one of listing is usually one of the worst part for both suppliers and also business owners. Why? Because you'll actually find that at times you find People and suppliers and also the buyers. There's a lot of corruption also that happens around that side, which really frustrates suppliers a lot. Because now this is a point that now someone wants to list in a new product into a whole new thing. Instead of actually getting that money, it's a buyer, an individual who now says, "I can only list lazima And that's why you find to formalize that most retailers will actually go for, "Hey, you know what? There is a proper listing fee." That is formalized is quite clear here. So if you take other markets, yes, you might find they might be using a rather different name and all that and the support name. But the, the reality of is, is everybody has their own way of working. And I have to point out, even at Kafu, they don't have a hundred percent sign up on sub- supply agreement. Because there are some of the other suppliers who said no to those particular terms and one, two, three, four, five. It's all about that negotiation. And also about telling someone, hey, guess what? No. This, no, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to do. And then now coming and raising that whole particular issue. I'm not trying to justify item listing, but what you might actually find is that it actually happens, but in different
4: names. Yeah, you're willing. And that is not a joyous thing to fight with the person you do business with. The least that a supplier could do is actually create a rift between the the person they're doing business with. This is a retailer. And when it comes to a point where a supplier is actually willing to risk all, it means It was so painful or things are not working. If you say the issues that are being raised by suppliers or take it on a personal value that they are not that much weighty, it might not be true. Because when you realize one, two, a good number of them complaining over one particular thing over and over, then there is a problem. And when there is a problem, it has to be fixed. And when there is a way to fix it, then that is the way we should. Now, coming back to what you've mentioned, in the retail sector where you have the supplier at one end, you have the retailer at the other, and you have the customer at the other end, these are three parties that uh, need to be taken care of. And when one is injured, definitely, then and as I said, if you realize a supplier is willing to lose everything or is willing to lose the business because whatever they are going through is so painful or is not tenable, then that one has gone through. That's on the extreme. You've mentioned about the listing fees could be others are using different names, meaning the same. There must have been a reason why that practice is not legalized or is not that legal in most of the, even in the international uh, best practices. There must be or there has to be a reason behind it. And if we go with that, then we are safe to say. If it is illegal, then allow it to be legal. Or if it is not uh, supposed to be there,
0: then allow it not to be there. Thank you. Back to you, gambian and uh, Priscilla. Someone is asking us about the, the penalty. Who does it go to and how or what period should it be paid? And someone is asking also, if SAFO pays the 1 billion penalty tomorrow, we we'll continue to open the doors. There are 50 suppliers unhappy with their contractual terms. Will CAK ask them to pay? Some way say twenty five billion. in essence, I think in the determination, there was not just a penalty. There was more. I think people are focused a lot on the one point one billion penalty, but there's a bit more over there. So maybe you can speak to that. Priscilla.
1: just quickly, where would the the penalty go? Now, should the penalty be be paid tomorrow? This is what happens that uh, the competition authorities um is 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 a government agency, and our budgetary uh, support is what comes from the national treasury. And then there's what is called appropriation A&A. And this comes from penalties and merger fees. And so what we collect, depending again on the budget, if there is a surplus, then that surplus, of course, is surrendered to the national treasury. So that's where the penalty would go. If CARFOR was to pay the penalty tomorrow, would that be a forgotten story? The reality is that, and thank you for pointing out, That this administrative decision, it's actually an administrative decision. We have really focused on the penalty and there are a number of other requirements under that determination. One is to refund amounts that were deducted as rebates and as the unfair uh, deduction listing fees and uh, payments. To, for every new branch opened, that is one. But the one that is most substantive and most critical and which the tribunal has supported on before, the tribunal has affirmed is that the contracts that enable or facilitate terms in abuse of buyer power should be expunged from the contracts of this retailer. And I think Mogambi pointed out very clearly that so far we receive complaints only relating to this specific retailer on matters of abuse of buyer power. And so this specific retailer has been asked to please modify, amend its contracts to expand a number of terms that facilitate abuse of buyer power. And so for as long as those terms remain within the contract terms, within the JBPs, then an infringement of the law continues. And so what the authority would do? Of course, we would only have to wait until we, we cross that bridge. But the reality is that as long as these terms continue to be part and parcel of these contracts and continue to be unnegotiable, then there will be enforcement.
2: Uh, I just feel that there's a need to clarify. I've seen that question several times. Well, does CAK take this money? What Priscilla said is that at the beginning of the financial year, you have a budget. For instance, let's say CAK's budget is six hundred million. We have forecasted that our A A, as she explained, major filing fees, penalties. Perhaps we think, based on previous trends, we'll get sixty million out of the six hundred. So it's five forty million exchequer, sixty eight A. If for whatever reason you collect more than the 60 before the end of June, you cannot spend it. The rule in government is that you cannot spend what has not been budgeted for. If you collect, for instance, uh, you had projected you'd get major filing fees and penalties of uh, 60. Uh, for some reason, there's activity in the major uh, space. You get 100 million. The rest has to be surrendered to the checker before the end of October. The other rider before I see the mic is that at no time has any accused party paid within a month or two no never typically like in this case i think the press release from uh, the retailer in question said they're going to appeal so the process of appeal like give your case 2021 is still in the high court you had also penalized them in that case we never received that money however like in steel priscilla said some have started paying we are a regulator that listens some of them are on payment plans so even you penalize 40, 50 million, you come and tell us, you know what, business is not too good right now. Can I pay over 12 months? Can I pay over 15 months? We agree sometimes based on what we've done, a self-assessment. We've done a, an assessment of their book. So we can clearly see these guys can't really afford to pay us 100 million in a month, pay it over two years, pay it over one one year, things of a sort. Yeah, thank you.
0: Willie. Do you have any responses to any of the points I've met? Willie?
3: Yeah, I think okay. we're, the, the, the most important point is... We exist. The only thing that brings us every day to the shop is a product. We will not exist. Why not for the suppliers? We will not exist if the suppliers don't innovate. They are our partners. They are actually at the heart of everything. Our suppliers are very critical. Negotiations will always be there. People will always have one or two, three, four particular variations. It's all about knowing how things will actually need to be. For example, most retailers, what they have is that the rebates are invoiced, and you actually find that now they send it's more like you ask for a credit note. A payment and you deduct and all that maybe those are the kind of trading terms and within our association we'll actually start to discuss so that by the time someone is actually paying it's quite clear they're paying for something that they also are giving a credit note for one or two three four five we also don't want a scenario whereby you are now being forced to actually stay with someone because you have to trade with them and you did not renew a contract and you now find there is a supplier who is with you but is active and you even sign all the documents, but you only give an LPO for one box per month. So that just show that the relationship is open. It's not good. They just make sure that you're ticking a box that I'm trading with this person. What we want in this particular environment and why Kenya has always been winning in retail is to be able to have discussion points, have an open those avenues, the committee to actually be in complete use. So that we're able to negotiate that bit and to also appreciate one key thing that CAK has done, which is actually bringing a lot of sanity. And that discipline that is actually coming in along, you'll notice that there are not many of those particular problems of payments as such and all that. And I have to say, between the Ministry of Trade and the Competition Authority, we have seen quite a bit of that discipline checking in and, uh, and with most of the suppliers. That said, it. it's also one of the best paymasters. You know? NIVAS, one of the best paymasters also. As in, paying way earlier on time to suppliers and all that. that is also some key benefits that have actually happened. And to also respond, you'll actually find, yes, indeed, for example, Carrefour and Naivas and, and other retailers, they pass that benefit of that discount directly to the customers, which is within the whole competitive environment. Customize at the end of the day, it's a competitive environment. We're all trying to actually make sure that we modernize the whole retail market and all, but at the end of the day, it's about communication. It's about dispute resolution. It's about putting in, justifications that indeed you will not exist if suppliers don't support you. In fact, if suppliers just pulled a plug on you, that's why some of the retailers' deaths were faster than what they should actually been, because suppliers will just say, okay, why am I supplying you and you're not actually even paying me and all that? Why are you having this kind of particular terms and also things? But when you look, clearly this growth trajectory all the retailers right now, there has there been MT is actually growing over GT. So there is that need to continue having these discussions, opening up the avenues, and we value our suppliers. Thank you. Willie. Yeah, really thank you for that. I wanted to ask
0: Priscilla Mimi, what are the options now for CARFOR going forward in terms of what are the other avenues open for them once this determination has been made?
1: I indicated earlier on that, that there is an independent tribunal and, and I do know that CARFOR issued a media statement indicating that they intend to appeal to the competition tribunal. That is option one, which is actually provided for under the act. And uh, which the beauty of it is that it has been it a route that's been taken before and clarified the law. And maybe if that if that option is taken again, there will be an opportunity to clarify the law. The other alternative, Mugambi alluded to it and said that the authority is not about, quote unquote, killing business. There could be understandable circumstances where may I pay in this number of installments, a compliance plan, as it were. Could we work out a compliance plan over this duration of time where if there are amendments, if, could we amend within this time frame, and so on and so forth. But uh, once the penalty is given, then those are the two options available uh, to this market player. And let me underscore that the authority exists for markets, not specifically for market players. And so the authority is keen on a thriving retail sector, buyers that are thriving and suppliers that are thriving and um, our our business is to regulate markets across the economy and when markets run competitively and there's increased efficiency and of course followed by economic growth.
0: And then is court adoption here or is after the tribunals and the courts can come into play?
1: The court is second appeal, a party again that is not content with the determination of the tribunal, can then appeal in our final appeal to the high court. We've been going for almost two
0: hours. We want to wrap up the discussion. But Mugambi, there was a question for you. I think this question comes up every time we have an authority here. Why doesn't the CAK go after the government in terms of competition and squeezing pending bills and all? So maybe you can repeat the answer to this question again. Uh,
2: uh, Thank you. Thank you, Eric. As you correctly stated, that's a question that keeps coming up. How to respond to it is that uh, the drafters of the Competition Act, in their own wisdom, did not give the CAK the mandate to to investigate government. So we are only involved in sectors where the players are involved in trade. The way, unless it's a government entity that involves directly in trade, which in how the law has been drafted, we've not encountered such an issue. We don't go in there. Either way, that said, we play a major advisory role. So, for instance, if we find there are new bills, proposals out there that may include and competitive clauses, we play a significant advisory role. For instance, one that comes to mind is purple tea sector. At that point, we did an investigation. There was a complaint that came to us. If you wanted to venture into the purple tea sector, you couldn't because the incumbent powerful players in that sector, you had to get a letter of no objection from them. So... More or less, who would allow you to come into their nice, juicy uh, space? A letter of no objection will always decline. When we did our investigation, we found perhaps it was being facilitated by some government-backed rules and regulations. We advised that this uh, should be expunged. And when they were expunged, three new factories came in. These days, when you go to a supermarket, you'll find purple teal products. That was a direct consequence of, of, of what uh, uh, the authority does. Uh, but when it comes to delayed payments, we have the public procurement regulatory authority. That's where that mandate would lie. Anyone who has an issue about immense that the government has done could forward the complaints there. And since you've asked about delayed payments, <laughs> you'll allow me to pat ourselves on the back a bit. At CAK, delayed payments has never been an issue for us. Suppliers can attest to it. You'll allow me to just to throw that one in. We've never had any pending bills in our books for the last 10 plus years.
0: On that note also, like, Maybe you should speak to the fact that the general sense is that this ruling at least is killing businesses at a time when the economy is not doing so well. That's like one of the issues that has come up. Maybe you can speak to that and also speak to the fact that do you actually engage in discussions with people before you make this ruling? it it seems to come across to many people as punitive and more like the competition authority comes against business. So we can respond to
2: that specific concern. Okay, let me take it uh, again and I'll try to be brief. Fine, yes. The the matter has finally been decided and made public at a time perhaps when the economy is not doing so well, but we've seen no signs of improvement and from the numbers that have been shared recently. This matter, however, started way back in 2021. This one in 2020, at least for these two matters. The other matter that is at the High Court was way before that. And I'll reiterate that we are not anti-business. The economic conditions that are affecting the retailers are also affecting the suppliers. Just the same way transport costs have gone up for suppliers, in the same way retailers are, or the manufacturers are facing higher input costs. The retailers are required to pay higher. People are agitating for more wages because they are, they, perhaps they, they need more income and all those. So the economic conditions that are prevailing in the country in good and bad times, affect everyone in various ways, but they affect them negatively in various ways or positively in various ways. As I said, and what Priscilla said, our work as CKs is to create this business environment that is suitable in the circumstances for everyone. That said, let's not just uh, concentrate with one player whose role and centrality to the economy we cannot understate. We don't say that whoever we penalise is not important to the, to the economy. We became a bit more exercising the mandate It was changed in 2019. The buyer power mandate, at at some point, the law was improved. This was a direct consequence of the problems we had prior to CK taking up this buyer power mandate. Now, we are doing something about it. We are not here to kill business. We are here to support business. But we say, uh, a retailer is a business. The manufacturers who supply to them are also businesses. Can everyone negotiate in good faith? Can Conditions that are not merited be deleted, changed negotiated period. Let not anyone force terms that are onerous down the throats of other investors, in this case the suppliers. Thank you.
0: It's time to do some closing up. Two things. One, I'm sorry that you couldn't allow more speakers. Having two to four speakers is usually more than enough. Adding more usually makes it a bit of a shouting match sometimes and it's not good. So we wanted to have a really good discussion. So usually we have two to three speakers at most. So for the many requests to speak that we received, I'm sorry that you couldn't take them in today. For the many questions that have been asked, we'll forward some of them to Mugambi and then it can have a look and the competition authority can respond also. But I want to give us time to maybe give us uh, closing thoughts. Maybe we can start with the AKS. uh, You can give us your closing
4: thoughts first. Thank you. Thank you. On our side, and as I mentioned before, we wouldn't wish to have this fight with the people we are doing business with that's the retailers. And that's why during the discussion you'd hear in the code of practice, we admit it in the story that the issues that were simpler or could be resolved between the retailer and the supplier. When that is done, well and good. If it doesn't, then it does escalate to the association. If it's not, then it goes to the committee. From where we sit, we believe some of these issues could be resolved. It is possible to be resolved. Some, and majority of them actually has been resolved between the supplier and the retailer at their own level. If it is not, some of them have been resolved between the supplier, retailer, and the association. That one has got. We are yet now to exploit the other level beyond now the supplier, retailer, and the association that is on the committee levels and above. But again, we wish to update the fact that CAK, when they step in and bring this sanity in the environment We've done a lot of sensitization amongst our members uh, just to realize or to know exactly what the see mandate mandates to do and how they can step in whenever there is an issue or could resolve some of these issues. But again, when issues goes through, okay, for instance, then it takes another trajectory, which could possibly lead to some way or one way or the other friction between the two parties. But again, the beauty of it is if it will resolve or it is actually come to a conclusive end, both parties come to an agreement much better. We are actually ready and ready to work with all the stakeholders in the industry to make sure that the environment that we are operating in, that's a business environment, is uh, good for all. We look forward to working with all other stakeholders in the industry uh, to make the business environment that friendly. Thank you. Thank you. Mugambi and uh, Priscilla, any closing
0: thoughts
2: there? Let me go first, then Priscilla can I think talk about the substantive issues. There's a question I didn't answer, but as I said, my closing remarks are just negotiations. Once you guys sit on the table, good faith, CAK will at no point intervene. We really can attest. We don't go fishing for issues just for the sake. When there are problems, we monitor sectors. We, that's our work. We have to do it. Because if we don't do it, if we take a back seat, perhaps the problems could be quite just as terrible or bad as they were in the past. Quickly, there was a question about do we afford people we are under investigation or undertaking under investigations there? right to be had, as Priscilla said about the Fair Administration Act, Action Act, the competition law, and the, the various guidelines that we have. If, the, for instance, a complaint has come from an external party, we do preliminary investigations, we assess, we request for more information from the complainant, evidential information. In this case, we're looking at contracts, we're looking at the rebate, what have been charged over time, communication between the parties. We look at that. If we find there's cause to progress the matter to a full case. We write to the accused party, inform them we have this, and we afford them an initial chance to respond to the accusations. We have sittings with them, all their legal representatives, where we even have a dedicated room for hearing conferences. We sit down. I'm seeing some of the listener. I can see some notable legal minds, who attest to the fact that we invite them to come, speak on behalf of their clients, respond to the, the charges on the table. We, If there's requirement, if, if there's need to again go to the complainant for more information regarding the rebuttal, we do that. There's evidence of the back and forth between us and the accused party. We retreat, we do a notice of proposed decision, we issue it to the accused party. If, for instance, we come to the fact that these guys have done wrong, this is a proposed uh, penalty, we give it to them, okay? Again, we offer them an opportunity to respond to the proposed decision. All this in the specific matter that we are it's the modus operandi CAK when it comes to investigations. We afforded the current party, All this, we have replete volumes and volumes of evidence of the engagement. At some point, as Priscilla has mentioned, we reached an impasse and we had to go the route that we did. We penalized within the allowable margin in law. And as I said, the numbers that I've seen floating or going around on social media are more or less close to the truth. The penalty was nowhere near the maximum allowable. It was less than 3% Why? taking fact or cognizance that if we penalize them too high, 10%, 9%, the repercussions will be harsh. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Priscilla and then Willie. Thank you, Eric. My closing remarks, one, we look forward to greater cooperation, working together with um, stakeholders, market players. And as um, Mugambi has, actually it was Ishmael who referred consistent engagements uh, that we have with uh, stakeholders, especially because we realized uh, that abuse of buyer power is a fairly new area and there was uh, quite a bit of need of uh, sensitization, and uh, your guests today can confirm that um, uh, uh, in the middle of last month, we actually had a sit down with their members in Kisumu to just clarify what are the issues, what is the law, in an effort to preempt situations such as the one that we have at hand. And so the authority continues to be very key on that increase, sensitization, increased advocacy, so that enforcement is our last recourse. The other thing I would want to mention is that, again, you will recall that it's the authority that gazetted code of practice for this sector in the hope that the sector players can actually pick up on it and be able to resolve issues with as little friction or need for bureaucracy. I've seen someone refer to bureaucracy or with the need to engage with the regulator. And the code is clear that the regulator is only a second tier if the, uh, the dispute settlement committee is not able to resolve this matter. So my is a challenge to the guests to please progress. This code of practice, seeing that the authority already gazetted it, it belongs to the sector, we gazetted it in June 2021, and it it needs to get running. The other thing, as my, my other closing remark, is that the authority is open to settlement negotiations, but it must be made very clear that negotiations cannot be made outside of the the, the four walls of the authority. Otherwise, it defeats the very purpose of um, the authority commencing investigations or even the existence of the act. And so if, if there's going to be any negotiation, even in court processes, that determination, and the consent must then be presented to the court. And so in the same manner, if stakeholders out there, there's investigations going on, there are two parties on two different ends and you want to discuss the settlement, section 38, is very clear come to the authority and the uh, history will bear me witness that the authority does accommodate settlements. But settlement is not parties pulling out matters under investigation because once they are under investigation, they are actually within the mandate, uh, the authority. Finally, on uh, the, the issue uh, uh, of consumer prices, fair consumer prices, again, we must be worried. Uh, we must ask where are these consumer prices coming from and we must be worried of short-term gain in exchange for long-term pain and allow me to stop at that. Uh, Also just to comment that as a country, as a developing country, what will finally resolve the economic challenges of this country is actually inclusive economic development. And that is only possible where small players, weaker players are actually able to enter markets and to actually participate in those markets and compete in those markets. And so for that purpose, we need fair market. Conduct, and we need fairness in competition. Thank
0: you. We may... now, you can give us your closing
3: thoughts, also. I think to thank everyone and uh, to keep uh, the retail chain moving. All what we actually seek for is that at any one given point, negotiations, discussions, formalize most of the things. The appreciation of what exactly the suppliers bring onto the table is immense to us. Uh, at the end of the day, it's all about the customer satisfaction, and all that cannot happen without. Again, as I earlier said, the authority has really done quite well when it actually comes to many things, all the way from. Acquisitions of new sites and where you have competitors and all those sort of things, and uh, we we're all trying to at the end of the day just make sure that we're able to service the Kenyan economy much better. Uh, apart from that, to welcome you to the fourth Jaza store tomorrow opening as we grow the small players also as we fight the for market. Thank you very much. Thank you all of you
0: for joining us on the Spaces Today on Understanding Biopare and its Abuse. It's been very informative. Now we hope to have more discussions like this in the f- near future. Wish you all well and your various roles in the society. All the people in the audience, thank you for joining us once again.